Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Good morning, it's good to be together this morning as we Uh, continue our series in Romans. Uh, We're in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4 in a minute, we will uh, read the first 12 verses. Um, As we've uh, been in this series, right, we're, we're three chapters in, and what have we learned so far? Well, we've learned that as Paul introduced uh, the book of Romans, he really brought out the magnificence and the glory of who Jesus Christ was in those first couple of verses. And then he went in to talk about the, the power of the gospel. And those are excellent, great things. And then we get into the part that perhaps uh, we could say, well, um, I don't particularly like this part because it really demonstrates who I am apart from Christ. And in fact, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Um, do you have a wicked heart this morning? Well, you ask the Lord that and I'll deal with, you can deal with him in that question. I'll leave that for your thinking. But uh, so uh, in the second part of, of chapter one and on until we get about halfway through chapter three, um, Paul has made it very clear that every one of us falls short of God's standard. Every one of us. There's no one in this room. There's no one in Rochester. There's no one in uh, the United States of America in the world who does not fall short of God's holy standard. But praise the Lord that the second half of chapter three, he brings those words that there is a gift that while we've all fallen short, we know that there is a gift from God that is eternal life that we can have through his son, the Lord Jesus. And he's the one who justifies us and makes us right before him. So uh, if you're in your Bibles, I've asked Jed if he would come up and read. So Jed, if you would come up and read those first um, 12 verses of chapter four. Romans four, one through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had had by faith. 
while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thank you, Jed. So if um, we begin here, uh, we find that we have uh, two patriarchs and a practice. Uh, two patriarchs, we have Abraham and we have David, and these, uh, these men uh, are very important uh, to the people of Israel, right? And they're important to us as well, but they're important to the people of Israel because Abraham uh, would have been the father of the people of Israel and in fact, uh, we see in the Old Testament that the Lord says that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So he's a very important man in, uh, in the history uh, of, of the Old Testament and in the, uh, the uh, Judeo-thinking. Uh, uh, and then David, uh, who was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart, and it was from David that, the, that the, would be the line of the Messiah, right? So he's very important. And um, two other things about them. First, that uh, Abraham uh, was before the law and David was under the law, right? So their, their, their time, they were a bit separated, right, by time. And then uh, there's a, m a number of words that uh, we will consider this morning that are very important. First, the one is justified. And if you'll remember last week, uh, we talked about just what it means to be justified and what being justified is. And a simple definition of justified would be to be declared righteous by God, to be declared righteous by God. It's the act of God, the judge, as the final authority. It's as if God is, it's not as if, it's God the judge and he says, you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are justified and you're righteous because I have made it so. And then uh, righteousness uh, is, is uh, what we, uh, is accounted to us, what is given to us uh, through Christ. And righteousness in general is God's uprightness or standard in which, to which man is expected to conform. And so we can see why we have a problem, right? We understand now why uh, we have a problem is because we cannot conform to God's standard uh, on our own. What's impossible for us to do. In fact, it's really impossible for us as believers in Jesus Christ to walk consistently at God's standard. That's why we have verses like 1 John, right, that would tell us uh, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because God knows, the Lord knows, that we will always fall short. That's not to lower our standard. The standard is always God's perfection, right? If we lower the standard to 75%, then we'll fall short of 75%, right? That's how our human nature works. Oh, the standard's only, I only have to get a B to pass? Well, I'm not going to try harder, because why would I? Right? Now, some of you, uh, that's kind of like a school example, right? And some of you were much better students than me, but uh, perhaps uh, Matthew and I were a bit cut from the same cloth. Why should I try harder? I'm passing, right? 
But you know, that, that was my effort. Praise the Lord, it's not my effort to pass God's standard. It's his work in our lives. Uh, so as we start out, uh, there's a number of questions that uh, Paul presents as he's kind of uh, thinking about all the things that the Jewish people might bring in opposition to the gospel and the opposition to this kind of new way, right, to know God. And uh, he asks these questions. And the first one, uh, in verse 1, he says, so what did Abraham gain, if anything, by works? Did Abraham gain anything by works? Well, the, the very short answer to that is no. And I was saying to Beth yesterday, so I just get up, I'll answer that question, and I'll sit down because we're done. <laughs> very simple, no. Didn't gain anything by works. Uh, so, um, but, so maybe some of you wish I would sit down, but I'm not going to. So, um, but, because uh, I think I was expected to cover the 12 verses, so we'll, we'll go with that. Um, so it says that uh, if Abraham then uh, was justified by works, right, then what, does, what happens? So because when we, as we read through this, this uh, section, uh, when he gets to verse 3, he says, for what does the scripture say, going back to the Old Testament, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So we see that was it, was it Abraham's works that he accomplished that made him just before God, just justified him in God's sight, or was it the faith of Abraham in, in God that made the difference? And Paul's going to present to us and make it clear that it's not the works, but it's the faith, the belief that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You know, the word believe is so, uh, perhaps in our way of thinking, so watered down, I feel like, right? I believe in a lot of things. I believe in a lot of things. Uh, you know, for a period of time, I believed that the Bills had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> that didn't happen. Right? And so my belief was, was not well-placed or wasn't, you know, very good, and that's, that's their problem, not mine. But uh, we, we believe, you know, in, in James, James kind of talks about this idea of belief, and he said, uh, oh, you believe in God? That's really good. Now you're right on par with the demons. So that's not a very good place to be because they believe in God, right? So it's not enough to believe in something. That belief, I believe, in, uh, produces a response and action from us, not because we're acting to gain or to work for our salvation, but we're acting upon what God has said. God said to Abraham, I will, I, in uh, chapter 15, just before he says, the, the verse says that he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, he took him out and he said, look at all the stars, I'm going to make your descendants like those stars, and it says that Abraham believed God. So what did he do that night? He didn't do much of anything that night. He probably went in and went to bed after he finally settled down from having that conversation with God. Early in the morning, perhaps, he finally fell asleep. Because I think having a conversation with God would kind of wake you up, right? But Abraham believed God. And then he acted on that belief. He obeyed 
what God asked him to do. If God said to move, Abraham moved and he did things. Abraham wasn't perfect, right? Abraham wasn't perfect. We know from reading the Old Testament, but it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It's very interesting to me when you come to the New Testament and as the uh, references are made to the Old Testament saints that you, I don't, I haven't looked at, I didn't have time to read through the entire New Testament before saying this uh, in a single sitting, but you don't see a reference to their failures. You see like in Hebrews chapter 11, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. You see those, those people who are, who we could see, yes, they are men and women like we were, they fall short, but God sees you this morning as a believer in Christ, he sees them as righteous before him. We stand before God righteous. Nothing that we can do. So that's why uh, as Paul uh, is talking here and he says, well, uh, what about uh, now to the one who works, right? He's going to make drive home this point about it's not works. To the one who works, there's something due, right? To everyone in this room that has, has had a job or has a job or whose uh, mother said, if you clean your room, I'll give you a dollar, right? So if you, if you go to work, you earn a paycheck. There's a responsibility. There's something there that you get because of what you did. You, now, there are volunteer things that we do that we don't earn something for, right? But when we go to work, we'd be surprised if at uh, whatever the pay cycle is, at, that, at the end of that pay cycle, we didn't get anything because it was owed to us. And Paul's driving that home because he said, you know, in uh, chapter 3, he made it very clear in verse 24 that we are justified by his grace as a gift. Salvation is a gift. It is not earned. So if Abraham in any way, for any reason, could say, I had some part in being justified because of what I did, then immediately God owes him something. If I have some part in my justification, then God owes me something. Now I know, I can speak for myself, I know that God does not owe me anything. There is nothing that I could bring that would remotely satisfy a holy God. It's all what he did and nothing that I have done that make me righteous before him. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are righteous before God all because of him and none of yourself. Nothing that you do would earn you favor with God that would make you righteous. Now, uh, some of you perhaps uh, have read through James recently or have a footnote in your Bible that refers you over to James, and James makes this interesting comment that can kind of 
create initially, if you take it out of context, a little bit of confusion, right? Because James says in chapter 2 and verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you're like, wait a minute. Paul, you just said no works. James, you said works. What's going on here? So we have to look at context. And in the context, uh, James is talking about uh, works as an evidence of our faith. Works as an evidence of, of our faith. Now, the other thing that you want to kind of think in as uh, if you think about a timeline of, of what's going on. So in chapter 15, when uh, it is said that uh, Abraham believed to the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness, right? So when does, how, how much later is it that Isaac is, uh, uh, they go up the mountain to offer Isaac? It's quite a few years later. Um, in fact, uh, I, don't, I don't know that anybody uh, maybe they, somebody's figured it out mathematically what it is, but it's, it's many years later that that happens. So that, that instance is not Abraham earning his justification, his righteousness. It's an evidence of the faith that Abraham has, and he's acting on it in obedience to God. So he's righteous first, and then he acts on what he believes. Because God said, and then we act upon what God said. Um, Paul will, will bring this up again, this whole idea of, uh, of, and really kind of summarize some of the thoughts in this chapter in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 10, right? He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, okay, we're not working for it. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, uh, so that no one will boast, because he talks here about boasting in chapter 4. What about boasting? There is no boasting, because there's nothing that Abraham could have done. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn righteousness with God. And then he says, he does crunch in good works, though, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You'll notice that in the progression of how uh, this worked in Abraham's life and how it works in our life, that is, we are saved by faith, right? And the works follow. The works are an evidence of our faith. The works are an evidence of our faith. They do not result in our salvation or earning us a stature with God. So, they moved the clock from the back, so I have to look over there now. <laughs> you just put a big clock there on the screen. Um, so, when you consider these first four verses that we've, that we've just looked at, um, what does that mean to you and me today? How does that apply? What do we take from that? Well, we take from that the teaching of justification that we are justified, right, because of what God did and because God said, and then our faith that he gives us in him that makes us just before God, righteous in his sight. And then we see that 
God did not have a different method of salvation for the Old Testament saints than he does for the New Testament saints. The method of salvation has always been through faith in him. It's always been through faith in him and trusting in him. It's never been works, right? The law pointed out that man couldn't earn their salvation. They could not keep God's standard, even though that was probably only a portion of God's standard written down. Like to write down, every, if God wrote down everything, it would have taken probably more words to communicate that to us. But man could not do that. So we see that God did not change. He did not change his methodology of people coming to him. It's always going to be by faith. It's always going to be that we are justified because we believe and, and act on that belief in faith towards him. We're also going to see for us today that God did all the work. I think sometimes our human nature, even as believers, we still think I need to do something to help my stature with God. There is nothing you can do to be more loved by God than you are at this very moment. Regardless of where you are right now in your walk with God, whether you're at a high point, a medium point, or whether you've fallen on, on your face, God loves you just as much as he will ever love you and loves you perfectly. And there's nothing that you can do to earn something, some favor with God. And then thirdly, uh, just to reinforce to us that it's a gift. God's, uh, the, the righteousness that we have through Christ is a gift, a gift from God that he has uh, made in our lives. So uh, then he's going to uh, jump over to use David as an example. And David comes in and he really reinforces what Abraham, the, the view of Abraham and what Abraham, uh, Paul brought forth in Abraham. Because David's going to say, uh, or, or has said these things. And in verse 5, it says this, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And so from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, Paul quotes this, these two verses. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David very intimately knew that he was right with God because he believed God and his faith was counted as righteousness. It's interesting as you read through the Psalms, there's many times when God will, or when uh, David will say, Lord, judge me according to my righteousness. And sometimes you kind of read that and you're like, really, David, that's what you're saying? But I think David has this view, he has this understanding that it's not his righteousness. He's not standing on his ability to be righteous, but on God's ability to make him righteous. So when, when David wrote in Psalm 32, this is after his adultery with Bathsheba and after he murdered Uriah. And he says these things, and David knew 
that he was guilty before God. Under the law, he was deserving of death. Now the prophet Nathan came to him and he said to him, he said a lot of things to him, but one of the things he said to him was, God has put away your sin. God has put away your sin. God was just in doing that because David believed and held fast to God's promise of what God promised him. God will always act justly. He does not sweep anything under the rug. He does not make exceptions, but he always acts justly. And so that's why it's so important that we hold fast to his promises because God will be true to his promises. And he was true in David's life. And David would say, David knew, right, his lawless deeds. The two things that he did in that situation were both in the law as don't do these things. Very clear. David didn't go into that thinking, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm confused, whatever. David was very clear than his choice of lawlessness against God. But David also knew, knew, right, as he walked through this time in his life and as God worked in his life, God, he knew God's forgiveness. He knew that his sins were forgiven, that his sins were covered um, because God had said it was so. I have a question for you this morning. Are you blessed this morning? Are you blessed this morning? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Every sin as a believer in Jesus Christ that you've ever committed is forgiven in him. Do you know that your sins are covered? They are taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God is not holding you in debt for the sins that you will commit today and tomorrow and the day after? He's not holding you in debt. We are all in Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are blessed. This is the gospel. This is what Paul referred to in chapter 1 and verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel. The gospel is as pertinent to you and me this morning as it is to one who does not know Jesus Christ, because the gospel is where our hope is. It's not that God saved us once and then we're off just doing our thing, and he comes back at the end and kind of touches base with us. No, the gospel is at work throughout our entire life to redeem us, to sanctify us, to make us holy and righteous before a holy and a righteous God who loves us. This morning, you are blessed. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid. But there is, a, there is a piece of that, right, that if you haven't responded to Christ, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then that opportunity is there for you. 
for you to trust in Christ, to believe in him and to act upon the promises that he made. If all he says, you know, like very simply, right? Like sometimes we read through Romans, it's somewhat confusing sometimes. We're reading these words like, what is he saying? Well, let's go back to something simple like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, if you don't know Christ, you can believe in him and know your sins forgiven and trust in him. He will be faithful to his promise. He will never fail. And then finally, we get to uh, the last four verses, which is 9 through uh, 12. And uh, he asks this question right at the beginning. Is this blessing, okay, so he's talking about the blessing that he's just been mentioning, the blessing of knowing your sins forgiven and knowing that you're righteous before a holy God. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And so... Um, it's good, I think, in uh, just thinking about, so the definition of circumcision, right, is, has a couple of different meanings uh, as it's used here. In fact, um, I don't know if you were kind of following along there as, as uh, Jed read, but in verses 9 through 12, some form of the word circumcision is, occurs 10 times. So we need to understand what he's saying in order to understand what he's saying. Right? So circumcision can be, as it is in, in verse 9, uh, is it only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? He's talking about is it only for the, the uh, physical children of Abraham, the Jewish people who are circumcised, or is it for the Gentile? Is that blessing available only to a particular group, or is it available to everyone? And he, he makes that separation by circumcision and not, and not being circumcised. And then, of course, uh, there are references in here where it is specifically speaking of uh, the condition of being circumcised. Abraham, uh, in the last, the last verse in our section, uh, says that, uh, uh, and our father Abraham had before he was circumcised, speaking of the actual physical circumcision. And then uh, a third uh, application of the word circumcision, which we see very clearly if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 29, uh, he says that circumcision is a matter of the heart. So circumcision, right, was God's sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he said to Abraham, this is, this is the covenant I'm making with you, and this is the sign. In fact, he calls it in this section, verse 11, a sign and a seal, right? God says this is a sign and a seal of what Abraham I'm promising to you. But while it was a physical act that occurred, it was always intended to be the attitude of the heart. God always intended it for to be, to be not just circumcision physically, but circumcised in our heart, spiritually. So when he gets to Romans, that's why he says in the book of Romans that uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart. Because when we just act upon a ritual, right, we do something out of religious practice, we lose the importance of it if it's only an outward 
uh, visible thing that we do. If it's only a physical thing, if it's only an outward view of what we do, we do it because we think we should and it might make us look right with God. But God said, no, I'm interested in your heart. Where's your heart this morning? That's what he says. That's what he's saying in Romans. Where's your heart? Is your heart circumcised? Is your heart set apart? Have you cut off the things in your heart that separate you from me? That takes us to surrender, doesn't it? We need to surrender because God's the one who can circumcise our heart. So we see that no, uh, the answer to the question in verse 9 is again no. It's not just uh, available to the circumcised or to the uncircumcised. It's available to everyone. And in fact, Abraham, it says that Abraham, uh, that he was, um, he was declared righteous. He was declared just before God before he was circumcised. That comes later in, in uh, it's about 14 years later in his life that that happens. And so what is the purpose of that? God doesn't do anything just because. Nothing happens in your life just because. There are no, there are no circumstances in our life that God is not at work in. God works in all these things. This isn't a circumstance, this is God at work, right? And God says, look, this is why I did this. He said, I, I, had Abra I, I declared Abraham righteous before circumcision so that he could be the father of those who would come after him who were not circumcised. So that, so that faith in Christ is extended to us because Abraham believed God before the sign of circumcision. And then, uh, and then he also is the father of those who are circumcised, primarily speaking of the Jewish people, right? Not speaking of a physical condition, but about a people group. But he says he makes it, he adds something in there that the Jewish people need to understand and that we need to understand. It's not just being circumcised in the Jewish context outwardly, but it's also demonstrated by our walk of faith in Christ. That's what, that's what God wants from us is a walk of faith, a walk that believes in him and trusts in him. So as we finish up this morning, you and I are as believers in Christ, we are justified, we are declared righteous before a holy and a righteous God who has a perfect standard. And only he can do that in our lives. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to make myself just before God in this relationship. And then the works that you do after you come to faith in Christ are the evidence of your faith. And then as he would exhort uh, the people reading this back in his day, that Paul would exhort them, but those who also walk in the footsteps of faith, that's what we are called to do this morning, to walk in belief, in faith, to walk in obedience, to walk in good works, 
and then finally to a walk in assurance. Assurance is knowing that what God said will happen and will, will come to pass. All of God's word, everything that is in the book is true. No exceptions. Everything that God says will happen and will come to pass. Father, this morning as we consider being justified by faith as a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ because of the work that he did at Calvary, not the works that we would do, but Father, the works that you did through your son, the Lord Jesus, when he went to the cross and bore our sin, he took our sin and he died for the debt that we owed. And Father, this morning we stand forgiven as believers in Christ because of what you have done and nothing that we have done. Father, help us to grasp the awesomeness of what you've done in our lives. Help us to walk in a manner that's pleasing to you and help us to be bold in our witness to those around us that don't know you. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for your great goodness to us this morning. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen.